0: Welcome to the Reflective Teaching in a Digital Age podcast series. In these conversations, we discuss technology-inspired changes in STEM education. The title of today's episode is Online Teaching Through the Lens of the Community of Inquiry Framework. Nicole and I will talk with Dr. Norm Vaughn, who is a professor in the Department of Education, Faculty of Teaching and Learning at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. He's an educator and researcher with interest in blended learning, faculty development, and K-12 schooling. Thank you so much for your time and welcome to our podcast series. It's great to have you here with us. And I think our first question would be if you can talk a little bit more about central presences of the community of inquiry framework.
1: Wonderful, so again thank you so much for having me on and um, again just to begin this is really exciting to me. Um, My uh, doctoral advisor was Randy Garrison. We worked for three years together in the Teaching and Learning Centre at the University of Calgary, which is a fairly major university in Canada and and has a huge engineering focus, especially with relationship to our petroleum industry. Anyway, it was interesting for me, you know, you talk about presences. And uh, again, you know, I think for a lot of us, and especially I have a bit of not quite an engineering background, but a geology background. You know, it really had to be experiential for me. I'll be honest, the first time I saw Randy's Venn diagram um, with this idea of social, cognitive and teaching and how they all interacted together, it, it didn't quite make sense to me. I was really fortunate the very first time I was introduced to these. I was teaching a graduate course in educational technology and just brought Randy in as a guest speaker. And at that time, we could physically have people come in. We didn't have to do it through Skype or Zoom or or um, Microsoft Teams. So it was really neat to have him with us because um, the heart of this whole model is, is Randy's work over a number of years. And a lot of people in the States know the name Stephen Brookfield. Stephen's a real leader in adult education. And Stephen was actually Randy's. Doctoral dissertation. He's at uh, St. Thomas University in in Minnesota, still practicing. But the heart of what Randy's always done is, is it's about the idea of, you know, problem solving, really helping people, you know, learning how to think. You know, we've got a fancy word. We call it metacognition, but it's being conscious of, of how we solve problems. And at the heart of everything was this uh, practical inquiry framework that Randy had put together. It's really interesting. Randy's a scholar of a guy, John Dewey, who's an educational philosopher who wrote a lot in the United States uh, during the First World War and during the Depression. Some really neat stuff, democracy and education, experiential uh, learning. It was all done at the University of Chicago and um, David Kolb was working on Kolb's learning cycle at the same time over at uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cleveland in Case Western. And uh, they're both students of Dewey. That's who their mental framework is. So we had a framework for problem solving. But as I think most of us know that we don't learn in isolation. We learn through our interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. They called it social presence, but if you go back in time, and I think they'll adjust it a little, it was sort of more, it was social, emotional presence, and I think we're seeing that, you know, that there needs to be a social component, but I think especially in this age, uh, the era of COVID-19, the emotional, you know, the empathy, really understanding what's going on and, you know, the issues of physical, mental, spiritual wellness, so there's that social aspect also had probably his favorite doctoral student was always Terry Anderson. And uh, Terry Anderson's retired now. Um, he was the federal chair of distance education for my country, Canada. But he also worked with Randy at the University of Alberta. Randy was the dean of continuing education. And Terry was the director of the academic uh, learning technologies unit. And Randy had worked a lot with our indigenous people. Sorry, Terry had. And I really like this idea of Teaching rather than teacher presence is this idea that if we're going to have a true community, everybody's got skin in the game. Everybody's got something to contribute. So my understanding was really neat coming to this, um, was being able to work with the folks who actually developed these presences. So we had Randy, you know, who really is the godfather behind that. And, um, his central idea was this practical inquiry framework, which really made up the cognitive presence. Terry was sort of key on this idea of teaching rather than teacher presence. And then there was one other fault fellow, Walter Archer, who was um, Randy's associate dean of continuing education at University of Alberta. And, uh, I love, I love, uh, Walter has got a great, you know, it's our Canadian sense of humor. It's why I think a lot of Canadians make great comics. But he talks about this. <laughs> issue of pathological politeness. That was the issue when we get into online environments, you know, um, we've got to learn to agree to disagree to really not challenge each other's human characteristics. But where are these things coming from? Is this based on your personal opinion or is this based on your your research experience or something you've read? So that's the way I came to the three presences was in a very experiential way, working with the founders of this and then trying to put it into my own graduate teaching practice, which was around educational technology.
2: So can you tell us a bit more about how you use the framework um, in your own work? even as you were then designing your courses or designing activities for your students?
1: So Nicole, super question. So Nicole, I was really fortunate. I could sort of put it into two practices at once. So I was Mm -hmm. involved when I worked with Randy for three years. I was, Involved quite heavily in faculty development, so I could put it into my practice working with other faculty members at the University of Calgary. But I still maintained my own teaching practice, so I was working primarily with grad students at that point as well. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Nicole, you know, the more you know, the more you don't know. I think what we all try to do is sort of synthesize and put our different frameworks together. The community of inquiry was sort of central to me, especially my work with Randy. But there's a really interesting guy in the States, Milk Cox, who's been around for a long time. He is at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Kind of neat. It was the Miami uh indigenous group. That's <laughs> why the university has there. But he had a really neat thing around um sort of it was it was almost like faculty learning communities. So faculties examining learning their practices in communities. So I got pretty tied to his work. Um, just because of what I was doing with faculty development. And then a, a, there's a Swiss fellow who lives in the States now, Achan Wenger, and you might have heard of Achan oh, yeah. Wenger. Yeah, the community mm-hmm. of practice. And it was kind of neat just with my area, sort of education, mm-hmm. health sciences the community of practice is really neat because it's around practice and it's around identity formation. And that's a big part of my work is helping my students develop their professional identities as future, mainly K-12 to teachers. So it was neat putting those three frameworks together. And then I was introduced to an amazing fellow, Natasha, who has a strong influence on what goes on in Massachusetts, and especially with a fellow who does a lot of writing out of Boston, Daniel Pink. And so his name is Dennis Litke, and Dennis mm-hmm. runs a really cool organization. Yes, mm-hmm. bigpicture.org, finally opened up a school in Canada in Winnipeg, working with our Indigenous people. But what I like about Dennis especially is he follows the KISS principle that we like in engineering design. You know, keep it simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. So Dennis has this 3R framework, the 3Rs of engagement, that I've taken Dennis' works and I've taken Randy's work, and I would like to take a little bit of time to put it together because this is how it made sense to me and how I can put it into practical framework. So when Dennis looks at his organization the he looks at the 3r's and her first r is relevance that that, that people have to see their their learning and it's about curiosity and mm-hmm. when you look at randy's work that's what the practical inquiry model is about it's about triggering events about these really relevant questions we want to go on so let's let's hold that first r okay Mm -hmm. The relevance, how important is that we're going to have to design, but we're going to have to organize our courses for that sense of relevance. We're cool on that. Okay, then let's go to the second R. And the second R is this sense of rigor. And, you know, I don't know if you've got kids. I've had two kids. You know, gaming is huge. And if a game is too easy, if it doesn't push people outside of their comfort level, it's not going to sell. It's not going to go on to PlayStation 5. And I think that's when we look at challenge-based learning, especially in engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, those wicked design problems, that's where the students really learn. There was a dude back at the time, uh, Jean Piaget, studied his granddaughter, Mm -hmm. And he talked about this idea of assimilation and accommodation, and that's what sort of the mm-hmm. principles of Outward Bound are based on. You push people outside of their comfort level, like Cass Sustein at Harvard talks about the nudge factor. You nudge them out there, that's where the growth is going to develop. So let's talk about rigor, and let's really talk about designing for challenge-based education. And Randy's found in his model, this is where the teacher has to work hard, Is nudging people, you know, it's, we're really good about finding questions we're really keen on. We explore looking at this perspective, that perspective, but integrating it, you know, testing it, the iteration models we talk about in engineering education, putting it into practice, resolving. That's where you need the push. Last but not least, the one thing I think we've all discovered and guys, we gotta put our political things aside. We have a wicked problem in the world right now, and it's called coronavirus, and the only way we're going to solve it is if we collaborate. This is not a divide-and-conquer problem. This is not an American problem. This is not a Democratic, Republican, Canadian problem. This is a global problem. We have to work together. So that is Dennis's third R, relationships, and that mm-hmm. really is the hallmark of the – um can inquiry framework so let's just talk about this we've got the first r which is relevance so let's talk about relevance now this is so important when we're doing a course you know face-to-face but even more so online we've got to design and then organize our course for relevance so you know at purdue i i, I used to call it the stop legs. it's called cat me but mm-hmm. how much we can do in terms of finding out where the students are already you know we want to build on their prior learning we want to find out relevance uh this can be done on um you know online surveys you know this was done back in the 60s um david oswald all these heuristics with concept mapping anchoring events but we got to find out where students are what makes them tick Mm -hmm. and how we connect them to the course matter so we got to do that up front the design but then we got to remember People are human and you guys know about engineering iteration. Once the course goes, we've got to iterate. We've got to make changes. We've got to have a constant feedback loop that we're giving not only feedback to students, but we're getting constant feedback from them about what's working and not working in our class. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's design and organization. That's Dennis's R for relevance. That's our first part of teaching presence is design and organization, okay? Then let's go to relationships before we do rigor. Relationships, nothing new there. Sorry, my dad was an engineering prof. He taught engineering design courses back in the 60s. You guys might not know his name, but his name was Bruce Tuckman. 1965, the five stages of group development, forming storming performing adjourn uh, what is it no forming storming norming performing then adjourning that still happens most of my experience is i work with first year students i also work with grad students even the grad students level they don't have a clue how to work together you mm-hmm. have the coolest thing the cap me program we have to allow provide academic opportunities for students to know how to work in groups because that's the way it works these days. I mean, you know, the pandemic's coming back, whatever. Um, listen, I would not like to be in global real estate. Uh, they're going back to their head offices in Calgary. Everybody's going to work remote. Like it's just, that's the way we work around it. So people have to know how to intentionally work in groups. So um, in our fourth year engineering design course at U of C, the, the capstone course, the first week is a low stakes assignment. Students are put into groups usually groups of five. And the reason they're in groups of five is two reasons. One, to take them through the five-stage process. But something that's key to me and something that's key to you, we call it the ADDIE model. Analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. That's why we always put students in teams of five so that each student is responsible for one phase. Contracts, you do phase one, move it over, report. So I think it's so important that we give students an experience of what it's like to work in a group. And again, we all know first attempt in learning, fail. That's the hallmark of engineering. That's why we have those iron rings in Canada is that's how you learn the real learning is, is, is I don't call it a fail. I call it a learning moment. Okay. So that's a big part of of um, the teaching presence is facilitation we as teachers have to model the professional behavior we have to model the behavior we want to go through students again the relationships developing the professional identity the last one is critical the rigor you know this isn't being about a guide on the side or a sage on the stage there was ken blanchard wrote a lot about situated leadership Hey, it's all about situated teaching. The same thing. Different students need different motivations at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I am just because I was born in the Boston area. Cass Sunstein, incredible leadership professor at Harvard, wrote the book The Nudge Factor. He was involved in Obama's first campaign, the social media campaign. Mm-hmm. How do we get people out to vote? How do we nudge them? How do we move them beyond their comfort level? And that's... One of our prime roles as teachers, whether it's engineering and education is getting our students to take risk. And again, that's rejigging the whole assessment system. Assessments for learning and growth. It's not about standardized and sorting. So just quickly to put it together, because that's really my focus these days is, is teaching mm-hmm. presence. And I'll use a fancier word when you ask my next question, but I love building it on to Dennis's work because kids understand relevance, rigor and Mm -hmm. relationships. And that's why I like matching that up with teaching presence, especially when we talk about engineering education, because we all understand about design as engineers. So again, it's upfront design, but then it's continual organization, continual improvement, continual feedback as we go through the course or the event. Um, The idea Of, of, you know, it's relationships, but it's facilitation. It's the modeling. It's the growth that's happening. And then finally, the rigor. You know, that's where we are. That's, hey, Nicole, Natasha, you invested a lot of time and energy. You both have doctorates. You've got some Mm -hmm. subject matter expertise. The -hmm. students are looking for that. Sorry to be so long-winded, but if we can remember those three R's and how that hooks into the community of inquiry specifically to teaching presence, I think we can go a long way, especially in this online world.
0: And uh, Norm, just to kind of zoom in on some of the things that you mentioned, and I know my personal interest is teamwork, and I'm very interested yes. to see yes. right now how do you teach teamwork online? Uh, I mentioned earlier that the common course in engineering is the first year engineering, Where students come, this is their first year, and they have to learn very quickly how do they work in teams to solve an engineering challenge. So, obviously, the big challenge right now is how do you teach students how to work collaboratively in teams online? Do you have any practical suggestions for how to do that?
1: So I'll go for the practical suggestions, but I'm also going to say sort of a pro-Canadian American thing. Um, Listen, Purdue, number one in engineering education. Let's go for it. Indiana's got some neat stuff going as well, and Indiana used to host a website. It was TBL, team-based learning. It's moved (laughs) up to the University of British Columbia now, and it's really focused about online, but... You know, I really think it, it begins, whether we like it or not, and I don't know if the two of you have young people. I'm still working for my grandkids. Um, but Randy may, have, Randy may have mentioned the community of inquiry, the term was coined by Matt Littman, observing pre-kindergarten kids, little people. That, that's where the community mm-hmm. of inquiry came from, folks. And that's where we do a lot of work in kindergarten. I hate to say it, but, you know, we talk about everything we knew to to know in life we learned in kindergarten. And the big thing we learned in kindergarten was how to get along with people, not hit them, to listen. And and, and listen, I, I know this sounds silly, guys, two stars and a wish. It begins with helping people learn how to give constructive feedback to each other. And my experience, I get into a lot of kindergarten classes and I apply what I learn from these kindergarten teachers in my grad classes. I'm not kidding. In my doctoral and master classes. But it starts as simple as, you know, it's huge. Um, you know, I, again, my life began in the corporate world. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in the corporate world, we have 360-degree feedback. That's back in the 80s. That's the way I was assessed. I had to assess myself. My colleagues had to assess my performance. Um, and then my boss and the customers assess me. And that's just the way it is. And I mm-hmm. think that's the way assessment should be uh, in higher ed. And again, I never get... Um, the students to formally give a grade to each other because they're not in a position to do that. And that creates a really uncomfortable situation. But in the workplace, it's key for safety, for performance, everything. They have to learn how to give meaningful feedback to each other. And my experience after, you know, I know I look like I'm 19, but believe it or not, guys, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm not 19 anymore. <laughs> you know, I've been around the sun a few times year, year after year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I
0: think the Canadian say, air.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. You know, year after I know I look great, I know, you know, full head of hair, you know, that, that big black beard. But listen, you know Year after year, we talk about these digital natives and whatever. Sure, they know fancy technology, but my experience is they're still really afraid to give constructive feedback. You know, Mm -hmm. they hurt the feelings, but we have to demonstrate that we are going to be stronger if we learn how to give feedback to each other. And it starts, you know, it's a huge thing out there um, in the corporate world right now, um, Wells Fargo. You know, I think they are one of the larger banking systems out there. It's all strength-based learning. You know, start with the strengths. Here's some things I observe that you're doing well, but here's a wish. Here's something like, you know, looking at a kid, you know, uh, I, I love looking at little kids' art, and the kid explains to me a long thing. It's a turtle, and I go, oh, I get it, I get it. I see the green. Oh, I really like that green color. Um, oh, yeah, 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 and I like how there's four little feet there. But you know what I'd wish? Why don't we just put a dot? Why don't you just put a dot there and a little line for a mouth? Because I wish you would do that because that would help me understand it's a turtle. So I don't want to sound trite, but I think it starts with that. Now, Mm -hmm. the other thing that's making me a little upset is uh, what is the National Research. You guys have this huge... Huge program for research funding around national, oh, I forget what is. Anyway, it's the University of California at Los Angeles got a whack of funding and it's called the Calibrated Peer Review Tool. You have to watch it when you Google it. Maybe I'll send it to you after, but it's the CPR tool. used to be free because it was under this grant, but it's a really cool grant that's used heavily in engineering all over, and we use it in the natural sciences. Short-term pain for long-term gain, what you have to do as the teacher is come up with three pieces of work, sort of low, medium, and high-quality work, but this tool anonymously helps the students learn how to give effective feedback, because I think that's the biggest issue. You know, before we do all this team-based learning and stuff is just start with small groups. So in my first year class, Every student has a constructive friend. We used to call it critical friend. You can do it, but just constructive founds a little more positive. But they're with this person. It would be first your engineering class. But I find we need to start small before we go into the whole team thing. Because when you get into larger teams, and my teams, I always talk about teams, not groups. We need to start with just the individual, develop self-confidence um, to, one, give the feedback, but two, to receive it, my experience, and, and I don't like this is not male, female, but just the way that we've raised children these days, they're, a bit, they're very fragile about <laughs> receiving constructive feedback. <laughs> so my tip, I know it sounds trite, start simple, start with one person before we get into teams and just practice giving constructive feedback to each other. So that's my tip.
0: So i yes. just kind of on, on the same topic because it made me think about, I've heard various comments and people even in industry and when there's a feedback, but people are people. And even the best of us who are trained, sometimes we have different emotions and you can yes. clearly see it in students too. And that feedback could be just as slightly on a harsher side, <laughs> maybe with all the good intentions. How do you help students develop thicker skin about it? So,
1: mm-hmm. so this is this is for me, because my little shtick before we got into this pandemic I sort of built off Randy and Terry and Walter's work, and my area was sort of blending, you know, combining face-to-face with online interaction. I found this really helped because students would find their voice in different mediums. Some Mm -hmm. students would find their voices first in the online, the asynchronous discussions. Others would find it Right in our Skype or Zoom sessions, but let me just give a couple couple examples here. So, for example, um, again, uh, we have a lot of contentious things going on. I, I know, you know, in the states, um, we've got Black Lives Matters. Obviously, we have that in Canada as well. But, but the thing in Canada, um, one of the fastest growing areas for us is our Indigenous, our First Nations population. So, the big thing for us is Indigenous lives matter. And it's quite interesting. I live 100 feet from one of the largest Indian reserves in our country. Um, so we have a lot of contentious discussions. We have a lot of discussions uh, where we've got indigenous, non-indigenous, different sort of students. And it's really interesting because what will happen, for better or worse, I find that students are often willing to take more risks in asynchronous, like email and discussion forums, which can be good or bad because they can't see a person. So this is what I like is to, I call it bold, blended online learning design. So what I'll do is I'll monitor um, a chat, I'll monitor an online discussion asynchronous very quickly. And when I see something coming out, Um, I'll ask that individual, like, that's a really interesting point. Would you mind if I called on you during the Skype or Zoom session so you Mm -hmm. could expand on that? And I find this is really, really important is is that we're helping students develop their self-confidence because just my experience, and again – Again, I think for all of us, we follow almost like you. You've got the student achievement test, the SATs that I think you've waived. Mm-hmm. We have the same thing in Alberta. And my issue is, I find students who can take tests. Um, they're very, they're professional students, but they're not really good at solving problems. And when I put them in an uncomfortable team situation, especially in Zoom or whatever, I'm crushing their self-confidence very quickly. And I often cannot get that back in the semester. So I think we need to start this gently. One other story is I do a lot of work... um, with our reserve, our First Nations um, students, mainly adults, in the province of the state of Alberta. And it's really neat to see how they find their voice. Um, again, a lot of Indigenous cultures, they're oral, they're not text-based, but it is interesting. They'll go, I can start like breaking the ice in the chat room or using, you know, Google has these jam boards or these different mind mapping tools that I can start them there and then once... I always start with the strength, like, wow, that's a really good idea. Please turn your microphone on and I'll bring it up. So again, I think what's important is is start where the students are and build their confidence because this is a really tricky, tricky environment because it's out of sight and um out of sight can be a positive or a negative. Like again, any form of technology, um, fire can either warm us up or it can burn our house down. Mm-hmm. We really have to remember that technology has different affordances for different students. Um, Sorry to keep going, Nicole. I'm part of a really interesting conference right now. It's the Online Learning Consortium. It used to be the Sloan Sea. It's your big, big mega ship of online learning. And we had the um, keynote yesterday by Flower Darby, who you may be familiar with her work a little bit. But for her, her issue is are we exacerbating? Are we creating a larger digital divide in the United States by using online education? The issue being that a lot of our students now have connectivity. We've got Wi-Fi, but mm-hmm. what's happening at the other end? And I'm sorry, I'm going to be you know, uh, but a lot of um, women or young men. Um, have kids at home, multiple things going. So it's Mm -hmm. great that they can be online with us, but in terms of the presences, they're not present with us because there's chaos going in the background. There's seven people. Sorry to go so long, but I think this is really important because we always have to look at both sides of it. And again, I think it's really important and it's tough when we try to scale things Um, but it's really important. We need to get to know more than the name of our students. We need to get to know their strengths really quickly and build on those strengths. Back to you too. Go for it.
2: Thanks, Norm. So one of the things that came up, I think, in um, prior conversations as it relates around this um, community of inquiry framework is this idea of personalities. And you touched Mm -hmm. on that a little bit. So I wanted to just kind of explore a little bit. It's, Impossible, I feel, to cater a lesson to the 25, or in my case, I have 136 students to 136 personalities. So how do you try to reach as many of them as is humanly possible, but also not leaving anybody out, if that makes sense?
1: So, Nicole, this -hmm. is my idea, and I know we're on a podcast. It may not work for everybody, Mm-hmm. But there are all kinds of really interesting personality inventories out there. You know, I, I know that probably the Myers-Briggs is the most, you know, one we know a lot. But there's these other ones, the, these discs one. And again, what I like or, or these ones that we can borrow from strength-based learning. Mm-hmm. But what I really like to do is start from a strength-based thing. So, um, Nicole, there is some really cool online instruments we can get students to do at the beginning of the semester to identify. And again, listen, I'm a geologist, you're engineers. We are not psychologists. Let's try not to <laughs> pretend that we're armchair psychologists. But But I think if we can help that students find out what are their strengths, like focusing on what are my strengths as a learner, in this online world. And then again, being careful, I try to put groups. I've got a wife who's an environmentalist, and she always emphasizes to me uh, the strength of his ecosystem is its diversity. If we're going to have problem solving, we don't want to have group think. We want to create groups that have different strengths. You know, again, I've got two kids, one kid we would if we typed him we, he's not shy let's be careful about that but he's an introvert he's completely the opposite of me he's like randy he always thinks before he speaks mm-hmm. i have another kid who is identical to me it's like what you're getting now i i'm thinking while i speak to you <laughs> folks i'm sorry i know that's why this podcast is going all over the place and why it's not as reflective as randy's but we need both people, and again, we need to respect those. They'll create a project stronger. So again, Nicole, I think we need to be really sensitive about that, the way we do it with students. We're not giving you a, say, a psychological profile, but, but I'm seeing this happening more and more in the corporate world, uh, Nicole you start work like with the Wells Fargo bank they're mm-hmm. trying to find out what are your strengths and let's get you in a position that's strong because too often what we do is we look at the deficit model um you know we find out really quickly where the weaknesses are and then we just pile all this effort on our weaknesses and you know whether you like it or not i don't think you're ever going to turn me into an introvert like i'm sorry it just <laughs> i'm hard <laughs> I, I know don't Nicole, this is a professional interview. No laughing at me. But, 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 you know, let's not waste our time on that. You know, maybe he's good at, he's the guy who'll do the, you know, he's the guy who'll pitch our product at the end. So I think, Nicole, again, I think it's helping students first get to know their strengths. And then through that, because listen, with the number we have, like you said, um, Nicole, and and I have found this, I'm starting to use tools more and more because mm-hmm. I'm doing workshops and I'm finding, especially with Google products, at a 100 students, they don't work. I can't all put them on a Jamboard. I can't put them on the same Google Doc. I have to learn at different things. And the other thing I really think that's important, Nicole, is it really people display leadership in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's thing team to get off topic a little bit how the community of inquiry applies not just in academic environments but leadership environments and sort of go off uh, track nakash and nicole but what was fascinating for me was working for randy for three years as my direct report as my boss and watching how he put the community of inquiry framework into even our staff meetings it was wonderful because it really is a model that's empowering people and that's what the beauty of it is. You know, we talk about self, you know, that we want people to be self-directed learners. The same thing in the, the workplace. We want people to take responsibility for their work. Mm-hmm. The other thing that Randy, and I know I'm going off, and I'm sure Randy may have talked to you a little bit about his idea of um, shared metacognition, this idea of co-regulation, but I think that's so important that we're helping our co-workers become better people. And I think that starts with um, Matt Olander's work at Purdue and stuff like that. Okay, back to you folks. Sorry to be so long-winded, but it's who I am. You got me.
0: Interesting. For the introverts, do you think it's easier or harder or really depends
1: so this is where, again, I am just going to give my personal experience working mm-hmm. with my son is we need to look at different things because introverts are, I'm, I'm teasing, he's, he's a pretty cool cat. Um, he doesn't like to be bothered too much, but if I can do the check-in in a way where it's not like, how's it going, but I can ask a question that's helping me find out, where that learner is, but mm. contributing to the learning of others, the introverts are trickier for me, and again, you know that 's the problem we We teach how we were taught, and we often teach to the learners that are closest to us uh, where 's that book? My wife gave me a great book it 's about introversion, and it 's been a really good read for me because it 's really understanding a whole group of people that are different from me. but my experience dealing with my son. I really have to watch it, so again, I don't want to let it go too much that he's um, he thinks I'm ignoring him, but if I'm on him all the time, he, he just hates that, so mm-hmm. I think it's 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 more of a thing, but again, what I find this is again just me with people I don't know if they're introverted or not, but my experience this is just my experience, no research study is often introverted people can be not always. Can be a little more reflective, and I just find that their discussion forum postings are often at a deeper level, and those are the people I always ask permission. I never put them on the spot, but I always ask permission before a face to face or a synchronous zoom session. You know would it be okay? Would you mind sharing that post because that really meant a lot to me, and nine times a ten they're happy, but again, I think it's important that I didn't put them on the spot. I asked for permission for them to share, so that's my two cents.
2: So uh thank you, Norm. For our listeners, what are the – you told me earlier you have three. So yep. what
0: are the three key takeaways? You can um, do yeah, more if you want. You yeah, sure? yeah,
1: yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. No, no, but, but going back to the beginning, honest, you know, I love all Randy's – like I rub the community of inquiry, but I love Dennis Litke's work. And, and, you know, that's where I put the three together. So for me, where I really spend a lot of my time is teaching presence because it makes sense. I'm preparing future teachers. And so what I think for any good teacher is that we need to design and organize the the learning experiences for our students so that there's... Students see that they've got skin in the game. Whether it's kindergarten or doctoral students, they feel connected and their curiosity about learning. So the number one tip for me is design and organize your courses for relevance. The second one is, is relationships. We don't work alone and, you know, this is honestly forced a lot of people. I mean, we were doing this in Calgary long before COVID. This is like Dallas. We really are the hub of the petroleum world in Canada. Uh, we've got offices in Kazakhstan, you know, um, travel budget security. Is we really have to people team based learning what it's all about and it has to be with our disciplinary expertise but how do we work with teams in an engineering environment it's critical it's always been critical but it's more so so the relationships and I think it starts with us as teachers we have to model what it means and again It is asking the tough questions. It's not avoiding controversy that we need to talk through issues. It's problem solving. Problem solving's tricky. When you're out on the engineering site and you've just dumped a 100 tons of, of of concrete in the wrong place, what are we going to do about it? I mean, we, we can't avoid it. We've got to deal with it. And last but not sense, the rigor. And I think that comes down to the hallmark of engineering, the rigor. We have professional tasks, professional levels, and I have found it over and over and over. If we set the bar high, our students will rise to that. And students like it when we push them. So those are my three. The relevance, relationships, and rigor, and that really goes into the idea of teaching presence, the three phases of teaching presence, design and organization, facilitation, which is all about relationships, and direct instruction, which is about rigor. So those are my three takeaways, and I know it took a long my time to get there. That's that's my bread and butter.
0: I also have one question about online learning right now because of the COVID We all have to, for the most part, teach online. And um, a lot of people learning a great deal about what it means, what are the obstacles of online teaching, what are the affordances of online teaching. Looking a little bit into the future, say when we're going to go back to some form of normal, will the online stay there? And to what degree do you think people are sold on its affordances or do you think people are going to say that? Well, you know what? We've had enough. It's not exactly like face to face time to go back to what we're used to.
1: So, so a quick, a quick thing that happened to me, um, a few years ago before COVID and, and it really is cool taking the community of inquiry framework and it's looking at, at all quadrants. So I think we're going to go to something called blended online learning design. And let let me tell you a quick story, because it all begins and ends with the learner. And my experience is a lot of learners are getting the connectivity they need, but they need more than that. They need a safe space to learn. So here's a quick story. Again, we've got um, all kinds of First Nation reserves. Actually, you know, probably the, one of the largest proportions of our, our province in terms of land area is made up of these reserves. And a lot of these reserves sit on top of the oil sands. Um, so there's all kinds of issues and things like that. It's a really a cool project. It's it's these large oil companies, Exxon, you've heard of them all, Mobile from the States. But working with the First Nations groups, so the first thing we did, or they did, they dumped... These atco trailers, these big trailers, so that in, in our First Nations communities, and I'm not sounding racist, unfortunately, we've got housing issues. We've got like up to 20 people living in a house. It's just not a quiet, safe place. So we needed to create safe learning places on the reserve, within walking distance, child care facilities to look after the kids, um, health care. So the first thing it started with the learner creating a safe place, then getting somebody in the community who's recognized as a community learner, who may not even have a high school education, but understands the local cultural context and then we can beam in these expert online teachers who can move people forward. But Natasha and Nicole, higher education is bankrupt. We don't have the private institutions you do in the states. It's primarily publicly funded. I give our government, our federal, our provincial governments doing it, but there's no going back. Um, it's definitely going to be a combination of both. But what I'm really hoping, and again, the strength of a nation – um, is its diversity, um, you know, that African proverb, it takes a community to raise a student. We need to create safe learning spaces for all our learners, and those are going to be safe places in inner city. We're going to have to create community access points, usually in libraries and stuff like that, but we need to create safe place for our learners, because I don't think online's going to go away, um, but it's it's chaotic. Even for me, they're gone now, but for a while... I had two children here uh, working, my wife in the basement. We were always bringing the bandwidth when we were all zoomed down. We are running into each other. Um, you know, most of them are very professional. I'm the problem. I'm running around hugging people. I was the issue. So I think Natasha and Nicole, online is here to stay. It's just like it's accelerated in the workplace. Working from home is here to stay as well.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well,
1: thank you for both. But you know, if you ever need the editing help, you know I love doing these because it forces—and that's the way I think—is getting out of this.